Welcome in to Monday Madness Sports Talk, your one-stop shop for all things Chicago sports and beyond, right here on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. of Monday Madness Sports Talk. This is your host, Noah Festenstein, here talking the latest in Chicago sports and beyond. This is episode 197, all the way from Harper College Radio to Radio DePaul Sports. This is April 5th, and we have entered a very pivotal month in the sports world as we got baseball back, we've got basketball and hockey nearing the playoff run, and we got UFC events, soccer, everything. There's a lot, and I'm here to talk about it with you. So let's do it. Once again, my name is Noah Festenstein. Here for the 197th episode of Monday Madness Sports Talk. So close to 200. Cannot believe that we're this close. And I think by the beginning of May, we'll reach that point. But for now, let's just be happy with the amount of sports going on right now. And the pandemic still looms around us. So obviously, it's very concerning to make sure that everybody is safe and healthy throughout every single sport, you know, that's going on. And especially with baseball having a 162-game season, currently the NHL is going through some COVID problems, particularly in the North Division uh, in Canada. So it's just concerning, but also very encouraging that sports is making its way back and fans are coming back to the stands. And MLB is the MLB is doing a good job so far with that, but tonight as well, the first game in Texas at the new Texas Rangers Stadium, Global Life Fields, they're having a full capacity stadium. So, with, with, compared to the 25 to 20 to 25% capacity in most other stadiums around the United States. So, I'll be getting into that. Uh, first up, I'm going to be doing a baseball segment. Then I'll get into some hockey. I'll talk about those COVID cases. And then I'll, of course, catch up on the standings, talk about our Chicago Blackhawks. And, of course, in the baseball segment, I'll be talking some Chicago Cubs and some Chicago White Sox. Obviously, there's only been, what, four or five games uh, between the two uh, in terms of games played. And there's some thoughts I have for specific elements of each team that is making them either good or bad. And with the White Sox, it's bad. And with the Cubs, it's good, at least for the first series. So we'll get into that. When we talk about baseball, and then after baseball and hockey, I'll talk some March Madness basketball, where tonight, Gonzaga will be facing off against Baylor, two number one seeds, in a showdown at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis for the National Championship of College Basketball in a year that has been very tough on a lot of these college players, especially for Gonzaga. They are undefeated. Are they going to be the first undefeated team since 
Indiana did it. The Hoosiers back in the 70s. Well, we'll see. We'll see tonight. And Baylor is the only team in their way from doing that. And we're looking forward to a great game that uh, and that one. But also the UCLA-Gonzaga game was unbelievable. I cannot believe I... Uh, and that, that game was so close throughout. And I thought that UCLA was not going to be in that game, at least during the second half. So I'll talk about that game. And tonight's projections, in my eyes, we'll be doing the Sports Bets Pick of the Week during our March Madness segments, where I'll be doing a DraftKings Sports Bet. It is legal here in Illinois. So all of you Illinoisians or any other people in any other state who want to make some bets, well, I got some suggestions for you. And then to finalize the show today, uh, I'll talk some NBA basketball. Maybe I'll just combine March Madness with NBA, catch up on the standings. I want to talk about the Chicago Bulls because they had a great win yesterday against the Nets by a score of 115-109. to 109, And Nikola Vukovic had a great game. And then the Bulls had a, a couple of key guys out and still were able to beat a very, very good team in the Brooklyn Nets. So we'll get into that and... Much, much more. No UFC today. And you got a week, this weekend, we got a, a fight. It was supposed to be Darren Till and Marvin Vittori, but Darren Till, due to some personal complications, had to back out of the fight. And um, Kevin Holland steps in to fight Marvin Vittori in that one. That is the only notable fight, I'd say, from this for this weekend. Uh, I might get briefly into it. I don't know. Probably not, considering... That's the only thing going on, and I basically just talked about it because Kevin Holland fought 21 days beforehand. The only other fighters that have done that in a main event fight has been Joseph Benavides, or not Joseph Benavides, uh, Davidson Figueredo, who fought Joseph Benavides to get the title belt about a few months back. So that's going to happen this Saturday night, but then in a couple weeks or at least April 24th, if I'm correct, in, like, less than three weeks. Yes, it is going to be UFC 261, where uh, fans are going to be back in the stands full capacity. So that's going to be very interesting to talk about in the times to come. But in the times today, we've got ourselves a great show here on the 197th edition of Monday Madness Sports Talk. Happy to have you with me today. Be right back with some baseball. See you then. This is Noah Fessestein, host of Monday Madness Sports Talk, and I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in for this week's episode of MMST. I want to remind you, if you want merchandise, please email me at noah.festenstein at gmail.com. Welcome back to the 197th edition of Monday Madness Sports Talk. This is your host, Noah Festusine, back with you here for the baseball segment, the first segment of today's show. So let's get it going. This is Helberg featuring Jossaray Wasted Summer, getting us properly hyped up for this the first week of the 2021 MLB season. Very excited for it to be back. And this past uh, 
week or this weekend, actually, I was um, in Springfield, Missouri. And that's where I celebrated opening day on Thursday. I was doing some stuff with former co-host Cesar Sanchez. So shout out to you, Cesar. Uh, it was a fun trip. We went on the road past St. Louis, got to spend some time in St. Louis. I saw Bush Stadium, and that that's just a beautiful stadium. As much as I am a Cubs fan, I will have to say St. Louis did it well with Bush Stadium. I ain't gonna lie. That's a real it's a beautiful stadium. And so I'm very happy to have uh, been there. I'm going to be visiting, I believe, Coors Field at some point this summer because I want to be in Denver for some family occasions. So that's just going to be something I'm looking forward to in the personal adventures of Noah Festenstein. And a lot of those have to um, rely on baseball because one of my goals in life is to visit all 30 stadiums or at least all 30 active stadiums because obviously – some stadiums that I put on my list, like Globe Life Park, um, which got torn down for Globe Life Fields. As I mentioned, that Globe Life Field tonight is going to have a-, a ton of people in the stands, full capacity. So I'm very interested to see, and I'm a little concerned to see if that, for the matter, is what you know the outcome is going to be of that. Is that many people together for the first time in this country since really the past significant sporting event which would be the super bowl in 2020 i haven't seen this many it's like what a hundred thousand not a hundred thousand how how much is globe life field here let's do a let's do a fact check here the first fact check of the day here for episode 197 so globe life field if i'm correct is a capacity of 40,300. Now, I don't know where I got 100,000. I, I was told yesterday 100,000. I was like, what? Come on. Uh, but no, also Globe Life Field during the NLCS, National League Championship Series, and the World Series in 2020 uh, did host uh, at least about, what, 25% capacity uh, for those series, and nothing came up out of it, but now... You got a hundred or not hundred? Why am I still on the one hundred thousand? Forty thousand and three hundred people will be filling the stands potentially. I don't know. If people want to watch the Texas Rangers right now, considering they aren't the greatest team, but for the fact that they could be back at a sporting event at a baseball game in the newly built Globe Life Field that they never got the chance to experience last season, now get the chance to experience. So I would say that. Um, Globe Life Field will have a lot today in terms of fans. So well, what time is this game on tonight for the Texas Rangers? It's actually on in like literally two hours. So right now this is a pre-recorded show. Obviously, as you may know, I'm recording currently. It is 1.34 p.m. I'm looking at the clock. This game is happening at 3.05. So as far as I'm concerned, fans are starting to roll into the stadium as I speak. So today, the Toronto Blue Jays, at the Texas Rangers. Talk about them Blue Jays. They started the season 2-1 uh, and one against a highly tooted New York Yankees team. So um, a very interesting start for this MLB season. So I hope that things are going to go well tonight. There's a couple things I want to talk about in baseball today, and that's obviously we can't avoid the elephant in the room in the baseball news that we received in the past few days and that Commissioner Rob Manfred is removing the All-Star game from Atlanta due to the new Georgia voting laws that got implemented. Um, I'm going to not get into that much politically, but 
I've always said on this show that we shouldn't build a bridge between politics and sports, but it's very hard to do it because, like I said, you can't avoid the elephant in the room. Like, we live in a country right now where there's a lot of divide, and that constitutes different laws being made and different people reacting to different laws, and it's just a whirlwind of people's opinions. So this is, like, the one move that, like, with the MLB and Ron Manfred making this decision and being an advocate, a large sports organizational advocate to make sure that people have the rights to do what we have been given the rights to do in this free country for the past century. And the MLB saw themselves as one of the biggest advocators to the matter and that's by pulling the MLB all-star game one of the most nationally recognized games of the entire year bringing all the best players in the MLB together to play one game and they remove it especially the fact that with you know putting more salt into the wound for Atlanta and I hate to say this but this was Hank Aaron's year you know Hank Aaron passing away this past year you know, he, he he needs to be recognized. He needs to be honored. And when he played for the Atlanta Braves for practically his whole career, you know, that's the stadium you want to recognize him in, right? But the best way to recognize and honor Hank Aaron this year, in my opinion, was to not play in Georgia based on the new voting laws. You know, Hank Aaron, an African-American who beat Babe Ruth's record in home runs in a southern state, was unbelievable. You can't write that. And if anything, if if Hank Aaron was alive today and still was being recognized, I think this is what Hank Aaron would have wanted, is that the MLB made making this decision. This is a decision not going up against Hank Aaron. They're still going to recognize Hank Aaron in this All-Star game, just not going to be in Atlanta or in Georgia. And this is the best way to honor him, to honor his values in life as being a strong African-American individual who basically surpassed a lot of expectations and surpassed a very, very hard later half of the 20th, 20th century. So, that's my opinion on this MLB moving the All-Star game out of Atlanta. It makes sense. I think it's a very respectable move. It's hard to say that it's not a respectable, respectable move unless you live in Georgia. And you, of course, think the same way I'm thinking is, yes, you may not agree with the new voting law, but yet you still understand why the MLB had to move out of Atlanta is to support the values of everyone involved and especially Hank Aaron, the one you're honoring in that all-star game. Hank Aaron is an advocate for his own great reasons. And I think that the MLB is being an advocate for their own great reasonings the way that Hank Aaron would have wanted them to. 
Now, and I'm not the one to say, because I'm not in his shoes, or any anybody's shoes for that matter, I'm just a sports analyst here, is to say that the MLB has its values, the MLB knows the circumstances, and they want to put everybody's values collectively into consideration. And with that being said, the MLB made a quick, decisive, and very kind of to the point. You know, they said they don't agree with the voting laws. They don't think it's constitutional, whatever they may say. And they're moving the MLB game, MLB All-Star game out of Atlanta. Next year, it's supposed to be in LA. But this year, we don't even know where it's going to be. It's just funny to think that we don't know where the MLB All-Star game is this year, but we do know it's going to be in LA next year. So it's just a very interesting situation. And I don't think the MLB should be played. Like, this is their All-Star game. They can have it wherever they want. And it doesn't matter where you're honoring Hank Aaron, whether that's in his hometown in Atlanta, not even in the stadium He's he, like, played in, in Truist Park. It was SunTrust Park when they built it, but now it's Truist Park? Like, what? Like, that's what I had. I was, I was like, what? When they changed Comiskey to U.S. Cellular, and then when they changed U.S. Cellular to Guaranteed Rate, I was like, what? And then they just changed Miller Park to a new name. I don't even know what the name is. Like, why change Miller Park? Like, that's a, that's like a staple name. Like, Miller Park? Like, you're in a brewing town. You're, like, in Milwaukee. Why not name it Miller Park? Like, come on. Anyways, besides the point, where is this All-Star going to be? Where is this All-Star game going to be this year? M- Miller Park? <laughs> Or it's not even Miller Park anymore. They're gonna change Wrigley Field to um, Cirrus Field, like Cirrus Tower or Willis Field. That's funny. If if they change Wrigley Field to Willis Field, I am not a Cubs fan anymore. Uh, but to the point of where is this MLB All Star Game going to be this year? I truly believe that they should move it to uh, Globe Life Field. It makes the most sense. I mean, if you want a full capacity for an All Star Game, which is very tough in these times and very uncircumstantial considering we don't know what's going to happen in the next four months during with this pandemic. So, and I think it's going to take at least a week for them, the, for the MLB all-star game to kind of configure at least three options for the MLB all-star game. I think they could even move it down to Florida where they've really kind of put their foot off the gas pedal in terms of COVID protocols and i don't think that's a good thing but it is a way to say you could have at least a full capacity crowd i'm rooting for a 50 percent capacity i think that's for everyone's interest for the all-star game you're bringing the best players in the league and you're putting them in a position where they're they could be exposed to any possible virus any possible virus that can put them out for a couple weeks because they don't want to be testing positive or at least feel like they might be testing positive it's a very interesting situation with COVID, with the MLB All-Star Game moving during these circumstances. Societally, this is a very interesting time we live in when we talk about transparency between sports and politics. It makes sense because sports want to be the perfect advocate to what the, to what is right, to what the, the organization think is the best for everyone's values collectively. And we live in a country right now where a lot of people's values can be seen through the lens of social media, through people literally 
speaking out to what they think is right collectively. And we all see that. We all can see that. It's just what we want to believe in most. And in terms of the MLB's perspective, they believe in the best interests is to move this All-Star game even during these circumstances during this pandemic. So I am a fan of the MLB moving the All-Star game out of Atlanta. It gives other places a chance to host it when they haven't hosted it in a while. Maybe Wrigley Field could be an option. But the only problem with Wrigley Field is it's so compact. Like, you know... It's Wrigley Field and then a whole neighborhood around it. You know, you don't have a lot of space to work with, especially when it's so condensed. So I don't think it should be Wrigley Field. Maybe maybe it could be guaranteed right field. Um, that could also be an option. Or, let's say, whatever team does the best in the first quarter gets to host the All-Star game. That could be that could be also interesting. It would be like semi-pro, where if you get top four <laughs> in, um, in the league, you get to make it to the next level uh i watched semi pro with will ferrell this past week and I, for like the fifth time and it's just a funny movie anyways the baseball gods should be proud of what rob manfred did and i think the sports gods could be proud of that too because it also sets standards for other sports to say hey if you're hosting an event in a place where you know they you know, you don't like the values, well, then we'll get out. But it really depends on the owners. Like, let's say you have, let's talk UFC, right? What what if Dana White you moved the UFC out of Jacksonville for UFC 261 because they thought that the Florida laws and what they're implementing doesn't meet the values of the UFC? Then they could start a whole story based on that. And the MLB started a story, and it's what I've been talking about the past 15 minutes is the fact that the MLB has its values. The MLB just proved that, you know, any any sports league has the power to make a statement as a whole. And that's what the MLB did. I mean, Rob Manfred, it is his own individual decision, but it seems like the majority or even a lot of just 80% to all of them in the MLB seems to be supporting this idea. I haven't seen one player or one person specifically come out and say this is a bad idea at least from my eyes and it goes to show like you know usually when something people think it's a bad idea you hear it right away right let's say on social media think about this if you are on social media for any beat for sports politics fashion tv movies etc everybody on social media let's say let's for example let's say if kong versus godzilla which i saw this past weekend and i love that movie great movie i'm not gonna spoil you or put any spoilers for you but it's a great movie i recommend it hbo max is amazing anyways let's say if kong versus godzilla got really bad reviews right you go on twitter and you're like oh wow like people are talking about all the bad things about king kong but as far as i'm concerned like i said it's a good movie i haven't seen much bad reviews on king kong as much as I would see good reviews. People like to review things from a bad perspective more so than a good perspective because they feel like people because people feel like they can build off of the bad, right? Let's say if the MLB decided not to move out of uh, the um of Atlanta, would people have had thought about it? Probably not. I mean, it's not like the MLB is going to go out and say, "Oh, yeah, we uh 
we 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 decided to stay in Atlanta because we support the the new Georgia voting laws. Like people aren't gonna think about it like that because people don't tend to mix politics with sports. But the MLB wanted to make themselves look like they have values because they moved out, and nobody has made about any bad statements about it. More people could have made bad statements about the MLB staying in, in Georgia rather than leaving for the All Star game. So the point I'm trying to make is. You, all, you tend to see people make bad reviews about something rather than they make good reviews. And in this case, I haven't seen many bad reviews. Or even that many good reviews for the ma- fact of the matter is people support it because they think that they're doing something right. Right? So yeah, that is that. That's the MLB All-Star Game moving out of Atlanta. Um, let's talk about the Chicago Cubs. So, first... Three games of the season, I would say, was a, a a good start for the Cubs, an encouraging start. Obviously, we couldn't have had said that after the first game with the Cubs. You know, the, they they had two hits in that game, both doubles, in the first game against the Pirates. Cal Hendricks looked shaken up compared to when he play, pitched in a phenomenal game in opening day last year. He it was kind of the polar opposite this year. So hopefully, Cal Hendricks obviously adjust and if there's one pitcher that can adjust the best it's Kyle Hendricks so a little tough start for him on opening day but then the Cubs caught up and if there's one thing I noticed about this team this Cubs team in the first I would say three days of the season four days of the season you know they had an off day after opening day on Thursday then they were off on Friday had two games Saturday and Sunday in those two games Saturday and Sunday when the Cubs were playing I noticed this one thing is that they can produce runs in any way possible, whether that's the long ball, whether that's playing small ball, whether that's, you know, moving the runners up and stealing bases. You know, Javier Baez stole second and third in the same running cycle. Like, that's impressive, right? Like, you have got, and Anthony Rizzo stole a base yesterday. You have guys, if Anthony Rizzo could steal a base, anybody on this Cubs team could steal a base. It's just that... I think the Cubs want to be aggressive on the on the base pass because they have runners to do it. They want to play small ball. They want to catch the other team off guard. You're going to see a Cubs team this year that's going to score runs unearned, earned. Whatever you can do to get their run across the plate, do it because they're going to get it done. That's what I've noticed about this team in the first three games. Even that, in the first game, the three runs they scored, I think only one of them was earned, if I'm correct. So, like... If the Cubs can find a way to advance the runners, put the other team off guard and force them to make mistakes, make put the, putting the ball in play and not striking out, this Cubs team could be good if they stay healthy. And so far, knock on wood, they are. So, uh, good start for the Cubs. I, I, I think that Jason Hayward, I think, has defensively, offensively, he's had a hit in the first two wins, had a home run in that game on Saturday, a blast, 428 feet. Jason Hayward, where did that come from? So he, to see that at the beginning of the season is very encouraging. Ian Happ with a 420-foot blast to, to straightaway center yesterday. Uh, and then the only concern I have is Wilson Contreras. He's not looking the hottest right now. He struck out four times yesterday. Obviously, you have some cold stretches, but defensively, Contreras is fine. I just, the offense is always very hit or miss, literally hit or miss with Wilson Contreras. So, you got to look at it like, you know what, who's the most, who's the best contributing player at this time of need for that matter? Who should we put in? 
Um, I'm also very, and I think those guys consist of like Ian Hat, um, David Bodie can be that guy. He's off to a slow start, and if that's the case, maybe Nico Horner or Eldemaro Vargas, and um, down down in the farm system can come up and provide some good backup. So that just shows off the depth that this Cubs team has. You know, you also have Eric Sogard doing well he had a hit one of the only two hits that they had on on opening day was his double so like you know that this guy can hit not for power but for contact and that's what the cubs need in this lineup is diversity power contact speed you know players who have that all that combined you know javier Baez. he's got speed power and he can be the only thing he should be and should work on is to be a contact hitter I think David Ross is doing a pretty okay job so far. Not not the greatest, but in recognizing the diversity in his lineup. You know, having that guy who can really get on base hit first in the lineup. And the two games that the Cubs won, they had Contreras leading off in the game, yet the Cubs didn't do anything of that, even though they still won those two games. Contreras... Needs if he wants to be a leadoff guy, he's gotta have. He he's gotta has that speed and that contact ability. And with him striking out four times yesterday, it's very discouraging. So I want to see a guy like Ian Happ, even Anthony Rizzo again, be a leadoff guy. Another name that I'm really happy to see perform: Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant hitting a home run, the first home run of the season, hits a double in yesterday's game. He's got you know. Usually he starts off the season cold, but now he's starting off pretty hot. So looking at Chris Bryant, he's also made some great defensive plays. Uh, so another name to put on that uh, into consideration. Jason Marisnik a, a hit in in one of the games to an RBI for that matter. So good start for the Cubs. Good start. So let's look at their upcoming schedule as tonight. They're going to be facing off against the Milwaukee Brewers. The, uh, uh, oh, wait, hold on one second. Yeah, so it's at, it's at Wrigley Field. I just want to make sure it's at Wrigley Field. Tonight, 640, a very rare 640 start. Usually it's around like 710, but hey, I'll take it. Um, Cubs and Brewers tonight. Very look, very much looking forward to that as, um, let's look at the series preview. Why not? Because this is going to be a very intense series as, um, Basically, what, what's going to happen is the first start for Trevor Williams. And it's a former Pirate. So, you know, since he's also still pitching in the National League Central, Trevor Williams is familiar. So hopefully that doesn't take effect in this NL Central where, let's say, the Brewers really know how to catch up with him. He's just in a different uniform. Uh, and then uh, Brett Anderson will be on the other side of the lineup tonight against the Cubs hitters and Brett Anderson. Uh, let's, let's see how he does up against this Cubs team and what she has been semi-successful against. And then to end the rotation, you're going to have Albert Alzali, uh do tomorrow night's game. So we'll have a good start. We'll have a good, I would say a projection on the, on the bottom two of the rotation. Let's talk about the top three though, because Obviously, I just mentioned Kyle Hendricks with him having a slow start, but talking about Jake Arrieta, and remember when I said the Cubs should sign him to a one-year deal? He's back. 
he is ready to go, and I think he thrives in the white and the in the white and blue prints and pinstripes. He 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 thrives. This is the top, this is there's a reason why Jake Arrieta wanted to come back to Chicago is that he struggled again while not a Cub, but now he wants to go back to the team where he did thrive at, and he showed off some old vintage Jake Arrieta stuff on during his start on Saturday. So I was very excited to see he went six innings, only gave up, you know, like what? One run? Yeah, one run. Like, that's it. And a strong start for him. And Zach Davies also controlling the, ga- the game up to the sixth inning. He ran into some trouble, but then um, because bullpen were able to pick him back up. Talk about Craig Kimbrell, the closer. He went out Saturday and Sunday. It wasn't a close situation on Saturday, but still struck out the side Saturday to end the game and then struck out the first two in a one-run save opportunity and then got a 1-2-3 inning. So five out of the six batters he's faced off in Craig Kimbrell has been strikeouts. And his strikeout percentage is a .41, which is insane. So 41% strikeout percentage. Uh... One of the best to ever do it in this modern era of closers. So, I, I think since he's acclimated with this Cubs team and now able to, you know, be back in the rhythm of a 162 game season, the Cubs, I believe, knock on wood again, have an elite closer. And if you have an elite closer, you're comfortable taking any lead into the ninth inning. And in the past th- three years or so, with the Cubs closing situation, it wasn't ideal, even last year, when the Cubs have to choose between two types of closers, whereas this year they just want to have to focus on one. And that's got to be Craig Kimbrell. You're paying him a lot of money to do this. Let's make him that valuable this season. So that's what the Cubs need to be saying themselves. Put the value into the player that you're putting high expectations on. And that's Craig Kimbrell. And people forgot about that name, even though, yes, he's a very strong closer when he does it right. And so far, it's been encouraging. Yet, against a weaker Pittsburgh Pirates lineup, it is still encouraging to see that Craig Kimbrell is painting the edges of the strike zone. And that's what he did in his first two appearances this season. So, that is the Cubs pitching situation. So, now let's talk about the White Sox. Oh, boy, the White Sox. I'm going to look at you right now, Tony LaRussa, because... Um, even though it doesn't seem like it's your fault so far, it seems like, you know, come to think of it, this White Sox team wants to win now. But are they ready to win now? That's the question. Like, you're putting in a guy who hasn't coached in nine years and Tony Lewis to try to figure out the White Sox problems, and their White Sox problems could very well be consistency. Last year, the White Sox against the bottom two teams in the division in terms of the... Tigers and Royals, the White Sox won 18 of the 20 games they played against those two teams combined. And then against the the Twins and the Indians, it was not like that. They did not play well. And yet the White Sox were able to win 35 games. And that also includes the 20 other inter- interleague games that the White Sox played. So the White Sox need to be consistent against teams that are good. And last year... Even with Eloy Jimenez, it wasn't that great. I'm sorry. Like, I, I know I'm I'm about to kind of, like, 
roast the White Sox here a little bit based on their one and three start in the four games they played against the Angels to start off the season. Like, I, I it hurts because I see a lot of White Sox fans, especially some of my closest friends being White Sox fans, putting so many high expectations on. But once they see the problems that the White Sox have, they regret putting high expectations on because they might not be ready. This White Sox team, I think, is ready to make some noise and to be a potential playoff team and a maybe World Series team. And I hope that could be the case this season because they do have a lot of uh, confidence with themselves. They just need to show it. And they did not show it in the opening series against the Angels. Barely any earned runs. They went like 0 for 18 with runners in scoring position. You cannot have that. You got to be pointing out runs on a different kind of basis, on a more collective, diverse basis, like the Cubs have been doing so far. Cubs have found ways to score runs in every possible way. Small ball. Everything. And I hate to compare the White Sox to the Cubs, and White Sox fans might be mad at me for this, but you have a guy like Yohan Mankata at third base going like two for 15, I think. Two for 15 in his first appearances. People who are struggling at the plate, with the exception of your man Mercedes, who has started the year off at, for 9 for 13. That's incredible. Like, he started off 8 for 8. That does not happen. So looking forward to seeing how Mercedes does uh, with, with the rest of the season. I mean, potentially becoming one of the more highly taunted rookies. Maybe making a push for rookie of the year. Uh, who knows? Who knows what can happen with that? But that's the only bright spot. Jose Abreu in yesterday's game didn't didn't look like an MVP. He struck out twice in two very important spots where he could have drove in the tying run and even the winning run. And then Walsh, Jared Walsh, hits the two-run walk-off home run in yesterday's game. I think putting the nail in the coffin and what is... A very slow start for this White Sox team. However, there's 157 games left. So there is, there is time for this White Sox team to gain back some ground, bring back some confidence. But is Tony LaRusso the guy to do it? I don't know. And you're going to see that in a lot of different facets come you know, playoff push time. Really, essentially, and if that's even if the White Sox are in a position to make a push for the playoffs. Tonight, the White Sox are at Seattle, and Seattle off to a pretty interesting start. They're 2-1, and one, and they'll be facing off against the Mariners for a three-game set, and then they'll be back at home for the first time this season against the Royals. The Royals looking pretty interesting as well to start off the season they had like what 20 combined run runs in the first two games uh in a wild game that was the first game against the texas rangers and the white Sox will welcome the cleveland indians at home for a four game set so a seven game set from april 8th to april 15th for the white Sox, and then they're going to go to fenway park for a four game set against the red Sox. we'll get more into that maybe when the weeks uh progress uh, but as far as I'm concerned, the White Sox need to catch up with their hitting and even their defense. Their defense looks a little sloppy, if I may say. Um, so 
you know, with that combined, this White Sox team needs to make adjustments. That is my first take on their first four games this season. Not saying that they still don't have what it takes to maybe make it to the World Series, but definitely what I've seen in the first four games, it's not encouraging. If you want to make it that far, you've got to start off strong, and this was not a strong start for the White Sox. For the Cubs, on the other hand, it's encouraging, but still, it was against the Pittsburgh Pirates, so that's a team that really technically they could have swept, but at the same time still was able to pull off a series one even after a very dis- discouraging first game that the, uh, the Cubs had. So still 157 games left for the White Sox, 158 for the Cubs. Still a lot of games combined, so we have a lot of baseball to look forward to. So I'm not trying to say how yeah, these teams don't have a chance, but you know what? Strong teams have strong starts. Hopefully that does not adhere to the White Sox. Hopefully this is something that is encouraging for the White Sox to say, hey, we need to kick ourselves in the, in the, in the booty and move on from there. So uh, let's see. Let's see what the White Sox can do in that regard. But as far as I'm concerned, that is that for baseball in Chicago and the news on the MLB moving the All-Star game out of Atlanta. Next up, we've got some hockey to talk about. Talk some Chicago Blackhawks. Be a shorter segment. This is the segment you just heard. It's probably going to be the longest segment of the day. Very long segment because it's the first week of baseball. Super happy to have that back because it's just a great time as always. As always here on Monday Madness Sports Talk, it is a great time. It's always madness. And we are getting into it more here for the 197th edition of MMST. See you in just a second for some hockey. Stay tuned. Welcome in to Monday Madness Sports Talk, your one-stop shop for all things Chicago sports and beyond, right here on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. April 5th, 2021, this is your host, Noah Festus-Dean, back with you here for the hockey segment of the show today. This is Matoma Slow, featuring Noah Cyrus, the R3 Hab remix. So let's get it going, here for hockey. You know, the sport that they play on the ice, if I'm correct. Yeah, you know, they play on ice. You know, I've always thought that was fascinating. Like, you know, you you invent a sport and you're like, okay, let's play it on ice. And look at we are today, one of the biggest sports in the world. And that is hockey. And one of my favorite sports in the world, and I think that's so fascinating. Well, one of the biggest facts that I've learned and being a big hockey fan is that the ice was originated because they wanted to create a sport where there was no friction and that the subject in which the puck or ball needs to be moved around a surface that has no friction and making it a sport that is harder. You have to provide more concentration, agility, and hand-eye coordination, and hockey was invented. And one of the best sports of all time, if not, according to some people, the best sport of all time and in the... uh, 
essence of that, the National Hockey League was created. And here we are today in 2021. And uh, a season that has still been seemingly very hard to finish off in a way. You know, the most teams are have surpassed 40 games in this season. However, there are some complications. And, so, and there was complications earlier this season with some COVID cases, and now there are just more complications. And that is regard is um, in regard to the North Division up in Canada. Um, actually, most teams are actually at, at just about the 38-game mark. So about 38 games up to this point is the average amount of games played. The least amount of games played in the entire league right now are the Boston Bruins and Montreal Canadiens at four, 34 games played and the highest team or the highest games played by a team has been 40 games played by the Blue Jackets and Red Wings but the ironic thing about that is both of those teams are in last place in the Central Division Blue Jackets being in 7th and the Red Wings being in 8th being the two teams that have played the most games you would think that they would have more opportunity to get points, but those are the worst two teams in the NHL, roughly, um, with 31 points for the Red Wings and 36 points for the Blue Jackets, respectively. But the worst team in the entire league would be the Anaheim Ducks with 29 points. The Ottawa Senators have 30 points, and all at the bottom is the Buffalo Sabres at 22 points uh, with a goal differential of negative 46 Negative 46 as your goal differential. The worst goal differential in the entire league, which is quite insane. So let's talk about the elephants in the room. And I've talked about it a few times in the past couple weeks for the NHL, is that the COVID cases continually climb. And in a high-contact sport in the NHL, it's very ironic to say that the other high-contact sport is, is, is football and the NFL was able to play all 16 of their games for every single team, albeit with, what, 18 re, uh, rescheduled games? But that's it. So, right now, the NHL has a problem in the North Division with the Vancouver Canucks. They have about 16 total cases. And that's kind of tough to swallow because, you know, we're nearly two-thirds of the way through the season and the, I think the biggest complicated situation in any sport right now is is hockey is NHL um, and it's just tough because now you got a team with the Vancouver Canucks who um, now have more than half of the roster now have COVID with some of them being quote-unquote, intense symptoms. That is not, that is very not okay. Like, that, it's so concerning to the point where I'm like, um, you know, this is life or death. Brent Suter, one of the names of the Vancouver Canucks, fears for his son Brandon, his son Brandon, as the Canucks you know, battle COVID-19. So you got family members of Vancouver, of the Vancouver Canucks literally saying that they, they, they're, they shouldn't play. And obviously they can't with nearly half the roster, uh, on COVID watch and a whole system of COVID tracing. 
So now the NHL has to be concerned about the Canucks COVID-19 protocol situation. And that sucks. It's a very, very tough situation. More than half of the players have officially, according to about 10 hours ago, more than half of Vancouver Canu- of the Vancouver Canucks players test positive. Wow. So, I don't know if that affects teams that the Vancouver Canucks have recently played. Uh, Wednesday, March 24th, was their last game. And that was against the Winnipeg Jets. And the Winnipeg Jets... Let's check up on them and see uh, if they're running into any problems. Uh, They're not. They have a game today against the Ottawa Senators. Um... So that's okay, but contract tracing is very important because then also the Jets played the Maple Leafs and the Maple Leafs played the Jets twice in Winnipeg. So now the Maple Leafs need a contract trace. So that's going to be very interesting to see. Um, But also at the same time, very concerning for this NHL Season that has been stricken with some COVID cases. And honestly, is it worth it? How is the rest of this North Division going to be played out? It's going to be very complicated. The Vancouver Canucks have 37 games played. They have 35 points. They're not really in striking distance as much as maybe like six points behind the Canadians who have only played 34 games. And then you got teams like the Maple Leafs, Oilers, and Jets who have played 38 games respectively. 47 points to the 53 points between the Jets and the Maple Leafs. So that's a complicated situation in the North Division. Let's look at the West Division. you got the Avalanche at 37 games played, up at the top of the division at 54 points. The Golden Knights are falling down a little bit. they got one less game played than the Avalanche. they got 50 points. The Minnesota Wild, they're catching up. They've got 48 points. And then the uh, Phoenix Coyotes, or the Arizona Coyotes, I always call them Phoenix because that's how I knew them growing up. Uh, they got 41 points in 38 games played. And then down the list, Blues, 37 games played, 38 points. Sharks at 38 points, 37 games played. Kings at 36 games played with 34 points. And the Anaheim Ducks, as mentioned, 29 points with 39 games played. So it's funny to say that the teams in the Central Division and the West Division that have the most games played are last in their divisions, respectively. Uh, the same does not apply, though, in the East Division. As the East Division, the most amount of games played are the Capitals, Islers, and Penguins at 38 games played, and they're all at the top of the division. Uh, Capitals, 54 points. Islanders, 52 points. And the Penguins at 50 points. Uh, then you got the Boston Bruins at 43 points. Flyers at 39 points. Rangers at 39 points. Devils at 32 points. And the Sabres, as mentioned, the worst team in the league at thirty-two um, at 22 points. Let's scratch that. Uh, Yeah, 22 points. Just want to make sure. Uh, And then let's look at the Central Division. And it's a division that the Blackhawks seem to be vaguely uh, chasing. Um, The Florida Panthers at 39 points are at top of the division. It's 56 points. And the one game less played is the Lightning at 54 points. So they're practically tied, if you may say. The Panthers and Lightning, the two teams in Florida, happen to be the best two teams in the Central Division. The Carolina Hurricanes, the third best uh, team in the division with 53 points. Then the Predators at 41 points. So a big gap between third place and fourth place. So now it's really technically a battle for fourth place. Who's going to be that last team in the playoffs? 
Then that's going to be Predators, 41 points. Black, they have 39 games played. Blackhawks at 39 points with 39 games played. Stars, 36 games played. They're at 36 points. They're catching up. So the Stars are, you're going to have to think that the Stars are going to catch up to the Blackhawks and even the Predators and maybe even the Hurricanes. Who knows? Um, or even reach back to the top of the division because the, the Stars are the reigning Western Conference champions. You cannot count them out. Blue Jackets and Red Wings have four games played. The worst two teams in this division. The two teams that need to be beat every single time they're played against anybody in the Central Division are all at 36 points for the Blue Jackets and 31 points for the Red Wings. Let's talk about the Blackhawks. So the Blackhawks, they've been faltering a little bit. You know, they were able to pull off a good win against Carolina last Tuesday. Then Thursday, they lose 4-3 to with 28 seconds left. They give up a goal. They could have gone to overtime and at least scraped out a point from that one, but they couldn't. Then, on Saturday, get shut out by the Predators during the day, 3-0. And now, tomorrow night, the Blackhawks have to face the Dallas Stars in what could possibly be the most in two, the two most important games this season thus far. So, hopefully, Kirby Dock can put up some numbers. Obviously, you got Patrick Kane up and, and making history every step of the way this season. So, Right now, it's complicated because the, the Blackhawks have a, uh, such a great group of young talent, but it's hard for them to know how to play with each other, especially playing with each other when it comes down to the last 10 minutes of the hockey game. That's when their worst performances are are being exposed, is the last 10 minutes of the hockey game. There's been a lot of games this season where the Blackhawks in close games have really faltered in the last 10 minutes, whether that's giving up a, a late-minute goal or uh, giving the fans heart attacks because they think that they're going to give up a last-minute goal or the Blackhawks, on a couple of occasions, have played well and have tied the game up late. That hasn't been as much of the occasion, though, as actually giving up the lead late because the Blackhawks have done that. They've gone to a bunch of overtime games because they could have won the game but gave up the lead late. So it's about you know these young guys getting that late-game experience. And it's tough because this Blackhawks team thrives. Have literally set themselves up as an uh, an organization to thrive in those late-game situations. When you have a group of young guys who barely play with each other up until this point, need to do that. So at this point, with nearly 40 games played in the season, time to put the foot on the gas pedal. And if you do that right now against good teams like the Stars, you're going to win games. And then after that Stars series, you're going to have two games against the Blue Jackets, in which I've said those that's the type of team that the Blackhawks need to beat and if you beat those teams, you, you you stay within the playoff race. And if you don't, you don't stay in the playoff race. And then the Blackhawks have two games against the Red Wings. Again, very important games. And then the Blackhawks face against the Predators for three games straight. So basically, the next seven games, the next... Yeah, basically, eight games are setting the Blackhawks up for, for success or failure in this division. Because you got 57, 58 games... Or 56, sorry. 56 games played total. And you're talking about the next eight games. That's half of what's left. So the Blackhawks are really going to have to define, are they going to be a playoff team or are they not going to be a playoff team as the season finishes off? So we'll see. And it starts right now with the Dallas Stars. And let's, you know, win these two in, in regulation. The Blackhawks can win this, these two in regulation, stay up ahead of Dallas. That can really make some noise. 
So let's see. Let's see if it happens. That is hockey for you. Very quick, decisive, and I would say eventful hockey segment that was covering the standings and such. But we have one more segment, but that segment's going to be a combined segment with March Madness basketball and NBA basketball. Just catch up on the standings like I did with the NHL, but most notably the March Madness championship game, the national championship for the NCAA crown in basketball happens tonight. Tonight. And it's going to be a doozy between Gonzaga and Baylor. So looking forward to that and making my prediction for such. Here on the 197th edition of Monday Matter Sports Talk. Be back in just a second with some basketball. Stay tuned. Welcome in to Monday Madness Sports Talk, your one-stop shop for all things Chicago sports and beyond, right here on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Juzang, again with the ball in his hands, in the paint, floater, short, got it back, ties it with three. Gonzaga has time to do something. Socks for the win. Oh, oh yes. Oh, yes. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Oh. The perfect season remains oh. on go. Are you? Oh, my God. There he is. This is Noah Festestein, host of Monday Madness Sports Talk, and I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in for this week's episode of MMST. I want to remind you, if you want merchandise, please email me at noah.festenstein at gmail.com. Welcome back to the Madness here on April 5th, 2021. This is your host of Monday Night Sports Talk, Noah Festenstein, concluding the show with what concludes tonight is that of March Madness Basketball and what has been a very eventful tournament this year. The first tournament that has been played in two years. This is Echo Smith's Cool Kids, the Gazzo and Two Friends remix. Helping me finish what is the 197th edition of Monday Madness Sports Talk. Glad to have you with me. Glad you're still with me up until this point because this is going to be a fun talk. Talking what has transpired in the past couple days in March Madness. Where the Final Four has been basically whittled down to probably I would say what we saw on Saturday night. The best college basketball game I have ever seen in a very long time. And it was funny because I was barely even watching it. I was watching it on my phone, but I was also watching Kong versus Godzilla with my family. So I was basically doing two things at once, but really mostly watching Kong versus Godzilla because I thought that was a fantastic movie. But secondarily, I literally overheard Jim Nance yell what you just heard in that audio before the segment. Thank you to CBS for um, letting me share that audio. And uh, I just want to say it's very good to hear a buzzer beater once again in March Madness. That has been of a lack 
up until this point of the tournament and for there to be a buzzer beater, a three-point buzzer beater with three seconds left after a game-tying uh, field goal and then to go across the court in three seconds and D- Jalen sucks. Coming up big. You know, hopping over a defender, concentrating on his shot, shooting it off the backboard, calculated. I would say that was calculated because you're shooting it from the logo, nearly like at least a couple feet from the logo, and hits the shot. So that was the sounds you heard before the segment and what will now transpire into a fantastic game tonight. If you're listening to this before tonight's game, I am about to make my sports bets pick of the week tonight. That for March Madness Basketball. So I haven't done a sports pick pick of the week. This is brought to you by Drax King Sportsbook and Casino. If you want to make some proper sports bets, please, please download the Draft King Sportsbook app. Uh, that is the app I use for all my sports betting needs, for that matter. So let's do it. Let's uh, look at what the odds are for tonight's game. And I will be placing a bet a small bet, you know. I'm not a big better. The only the biggest bet I've ever made was for the Dodgers Rays World Series, a fifty dollar bet on the Dodgers winning Game Five, and we all know how that ended. Uh, it ended in me losing fifty dollars essentially. But uh, the point of the matter is, is that uh, I don't like to make big bets. I like to make bets so that I at least make things more interesting. You know. Um, so let's do it. Let's look at what tonight's odds are. So Gonzaga. My prediction to win the entire tournament at the beginning when I made my bracket picks. I had Gonzaga winning it all. And so I'm obviously rooting for Gonzaga, who is at a minus 200 favorite against the plus 163 under underdog in Baylor. But Baylor had a more emphatic win against Houston. They were in the lead the entire time and won by over 20 points. So Baylor going into this game, they seem confident. They... They know that Gonzaga, as the undefeated team, is favored, but yet Baylor, with only two losses this season, is is going to have the biggest test of their season. And honestly, they haven't been tested throughout this entire tournament in Baylor. You look at all of Baylor's games, they've, they've been ahead. So for them to be behind against Gonzaga in this game seems like it's going to be that type of game, is that it's going to be back and forth. Maybe Baylor stays ahead the entire game. If they win this game, Baylor is going to be ahead most of the game. But if Gonzaga wins, I think this is going to be a close game. If not, Gonzaga could even be winning by 5 or 10 points on average throughout the game. But this game tonight is going to be a very close game. The uh, point differential is Baylor is uh, 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 plus 4.5. So that is the spread. I'm not going to bet on the spread. Um, I'm going to look at uh, the... um, Player props, for that matter. Uh, first player to score a basket. Um, I'm going to put some money down for Jalen Suggs. I'm going to put a dollar in that. So if Jalen Suggs scores the first basket, I get $5. That's a plus 500. Why not? See, those are like the bets. You know, the individual player props, I'll put down like a dollar, you know? Um, let's see here. Um, I also kind of want to do a... I want to do some sort of in of of same game parlay bets, you know. So if it's a same game parlay, I, I would want to have Gonzaga win, and they cover the spread of four four point five. So I am putting a bet down that Gonzaga wins, but they also cover the spread of four point five. Because remember, 
back when I made my prediction for the final score of the championship game. I said it's going to be 78-71. to That is my prediction for tonight's game. Gonzaga wins 78-71. to So I'm going to do a same-game parlay. And, um... Hmm, hold on one second. Yeah, parlay. So what's the... Ah, dang, it's not letting me do the parlay. Why? Gonzaga winning by... I, I can't have the parlay of them winning by... That spread. So, hmm. I'm going to have to figure this one out. But uh, I cannot combine the same game parlay with a Gonzaga win and also covering the spread. See, that doesn't make sense. Why can't I do that? Come on. It adds to the odds. I, I like. I don't want to bet on Gonzaga with, with that minus 200 odds because I don't like doing that. Um, How about this? Under 160... Or over 160. So, uh, I'm going to go with the under in this game. Even though last game between Baylor and Gonzaga... Or, or Gonzaga and UCLA was like 180. Um, hmm, this is a tough one. See, the over is actually more likely. Because that's at a minus 108. And the under is 160. So, I'm going to do I'm gonna do under in this game. I Like I said, 78 to 71 is my prediction. That's one less than 160, so, um, actually not, it's like, my math is just off. Like, come on, we're, we're, get, get your head in the game, Noah. 7871, <laughs> I'm really bad at math, 149, I think. Uh, <laughs> I'm terrible. Um, I gotta go back to high school here. Uh, but in the, in, in, in essence, I think, Gonzaga will win and cover by a spread of minus 4.5. But I will place um, a bet. I'm trying to make money here. So if I want to bet on Gonzaga, I got to bet on them a specific way. Um, So who wins the first half? Um, Nah, I'm not going to make that bet. Uh, let's do, I'm glad I made the first player to score a basket and that's going to be Jalen Suggs at minus 500. Um, let's see here. Let's see. Um, all right. I'll put $5 on Gonzaga. I think that's the proper bet. Gonzaga, $5, 250 payout. See, I don't like putting money on something when I know that it's very possible that Baylor can come back and win this game. Um, makes me kind of want to bet on Baylor a little bit, but uh, maybe I should just bet on Gonzaga beating the spread of 4.5. Um, that makes sense a little bit, but yeah, I'm 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 gonna say Jalen Suggs scoring the first basket, and then I'm also gonna put money on. Corey Kispert, because Kispert has a good chance of making the bet. I'm going to put $2 on Kispert. Uh, so it's either Kispert or Suggs getting that, and either way, I'm going to make money. So that's that, and then $5 on Gonzaga winning. That is my sports bets pick of the week. I got Gonzaga at a minus 200 with Jalen Suggs or Corey Kispert getting the first basket. So that is my sports bets pick of the week with Gonzaga, but I think it's going to be a very competitive game throughout and it's just going to be a lot of fun we're in for a ride tonight so um if you've listened this is being recorded around three o'clock p.m uh on monday so if uh you 
are wondering about the timing of my prediction and have listened to it after the game happened, well, if you have a time machine, come back and talk to me so we can make the proper sports bet. Um, anyways, speaking of time machines, next up, we're going to have a Mini Madness episode coming up shortly. We're going to go back in time, talk about whatever sporting event is up next, whatever sports history moment is up next. If you haven't listened to the first Mini Madness episode, it's about a few episodes back. Scroll down on the Spotify page. I covered the first ever eight sports invented. So check that one out. It was a lot of fun. So with that being said, March Madness has been an unbelievable tournament this year. Upsets upon upsets. The fact that there are so many above 10 seeded teams in the Elite Eight and even the Sweet 16 was just something to kind of glorify this tournament considering that doesn't necessarily happen. A lot of new blood teams are in this tournament. Duke wasn't in it. North Carolina, no Kentucky. North Carolina, well, North Carolina was bumped out early by Wisconsin. So it's just like a lot has happened this tournament, a lot of unexpectedness, no no perfect brackets after the first round. So it's just like very, it was very fun to watch this year's tournament. And I was, I'm very glad that it, it, it panned out the way it did. So, um, yeah, that is that with March Madness Basketball. Let's get into the final subject of today's show, and that is NBA Basketball, NBA, the National Basketball Association. Talk about them Chicago Bulls. The Chicago Bulls. Talk about that. They had a pretty decisive win. Not decisive, but uh, decisive in the matter that they are trying to establish themselves as a winning team against the second-place Brooklyn Nets, who are 34-16, and now tied with the 76ers atop the Eastern Conference. The Chicago Bulls are now 20-28 behind the 25-25 Boston Celtics. So the goal is now, I think, for the Bulls to try to maybe catch up to being a 500 team, but with 72 games played in a season, and the Bulls now having, what, 48 games played? You know, they got to catch up. They got 24 games left. And uh, a hard schedule coming up, even though um, with this Bulls team who now have two All-Stars and Nikola Vukovic and Zach Levine, they can really um, make some noise and maybe even without making the playoffs, still make a statement by the end of the season. Uh, so talking about the Chicago Bulls against uh, the Brooklyn Nets, you, ha- you saw Vukovic get 22 points, Zach Levine get 25 points, Troy Brown coming off and getting seven rebounds, and Thomas Sadoransky getting 11 assists and 19 points. That's huge. You're getting guys off the bench making some huge, huge noise. And an off night for Laurie Markkinen, who only played 23 minutes and eight points. Patrick Williams playing 31 minutes, putting in some time, getting 11 points. And looking at the Nets, you know, Kyrie Irving having 24 points. Then you saw Blake Griffin at 10 points. No um, James Harden or Kevin Durant. But James Harden and Kevin Durant, I think, uh, projected to make maybe make a playoff push. But uh, Blake Griffin, LaMarcus Aldridge, and Kyrie Irving on the same team. The Bulls able to uh, outplay them throughout the game. So that is good news for the Chicago Bulls team looking forward as they are now about to play the Pacers tomorrow night. A very important game because the Pacers are close to them in the standings and uh, they can push up a game on them tomorrow night. Uh, And then they got the Raptors on Thursday, Hawks on Friday, Timberwolves 
on Sunday. So the, so a few easier games, and then look later in the season, they got some tough matchups, and we'll talk about that when the time comes. So we just covered the bottom of the Eastern Conference playoff potential teams. Let's look at the rest of the top of those teams in the Eastern Conference. The third place Milwaukee Bucks, 32-17. and 17. And then from fourth place on, you got some teams that are nearly 500 in the Atlanta Hawks, 26-24. and 24. Miami Heat at 26-24. and 24. The Charlotte Hornets at 25-24. and 24. Knicks at 25-25. and 25. And Celtics at 25-25. and 25. And let's look at the Western Conference. A little bit more talented in that conference, considering the Utah Jazz at 38-11. and 11. Phoenix Suns at 34-14. and 14. Los Angeles Clippers at 33 and 18, the Denver Nuggets at 31 and 18, and the Los Angeles Lakers dropping down three spots from the last or two spots from the last time I've discussed the standings. They are at 31 and 19. The Portland Trailblazers at 30, 30 and 19, Mavericks at 27 and 21, the Grizzlies at 24 and 23 at eighth place, and tied with them are the San Antonio Spurs at 24 and 23. Fighting for a playoff spot are the Warriors, Pelicans, and Kings as that spot so yeah i mean this chicago bulls team and the position that they're in um they can really really start making a push for a playoff team but like i said if they're able to make a statement near the end of the season to say hey we are establishing establishing ourselves as a winning team we you know billy donovan making some noise this season with a newly kind of formulated offense defense could be worked out a little bit um making maybe making some possible moves in the offseason and trying to develop some of their young stars in kobe white and patrick williams and then obviously continually working with vukovic zach levine maybe make a trade uh for laurie markinen and possibly even at the end of the season signing a good free agent maybe um not lavar um maybe 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 one of the ball guys who knows <laughs> who knows so um this Bulls team has a lot to work with in terms of signing different people they're they're putting themselves in a position to win and they could be a top five team next season or in a couple in the next couple of years and that's something i'm looking forward to with the chicago bulls team moving forward and moving forward with Monday Matter Sports Talk today, it was an hour and 15 minutes with you today, and it was a great episode. Talked about baseball for, for a good amount of time, talked some NHL hockey, and of course finishing the show off with some March Madness basketball and some NBA basketball. Uh, so yeah, that is that for this show. Uh, looking forward to next week's show. Um, I might talk UFC I could finish the show off just talking about what's going to going to happen this upcoming weekend in the UFC fight night between Marvin Vittori and Kevin Holland. Like I said, Kevin Holland filling in the spot that uh, Darren Till left vacant due to personal issues. Um, and yeah, that's really only notable fight this upcoming ne- fight night. And the next fight night is Whitaker and Gaslam, um, Robert Whitaker and Kelvin Gaslam facing off before the full-fledged UFC 261 card that will um, host 15,000 fans at the Jacksonville Arena, uh, the Star Veterans Memorial Arena in Jacksonville, Florida. We'll look forward to that. And much, much more, more baseball, more hockey. Uh, we're done with March Madness. Maybe I'll have a synopsis of it next week. But as far as I'm concerned, 
That is that for the 197th edition of Monday Madness Sports Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in with me this week. Had a lot of fun, and I hope you did as well. See you next week for episode 198.